the year is 2021. As the world faces threats of both a pandemic and rampant stupidity, the future of movie theaters and film itself begins to look uncertain. Amid the chaos, two film geeks try to make sense of it all. When all hope seems lost for our pair of cinephiles, a beacon of light shines in the distance. A trailer so beautiful, so insane, and so over the top that it might just be the film to pull our heroes from their malaise. That film is Godzilla vs. Kong. Our nerdy duo sees this as a call to arms and embarks on a journey that few would dare, with one a seasoned Godzilla expert and the other an optimistic newcomer. Together, they will take the franchise head-on, watching all 35 Godzilla films in a time span few mortals could manage, all leading up to the grand finale of Godzilla vs. Kong. Join them as they escape to Monster Island. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Not Buff Film Buff podcast. You're listening to episode six of our Godzilla series, Escape to Monster Island. I'm Wes Skinner. With me, as always, is Josh Lapierre. What's going on, Josh? Hey, man, I'm doing great. I feel like it's uh, it's been forever since we've we've recorded. This is nice. I know. It's been a hot minute. <laughs> Due to crazy work schedules and whatnot. Also, can you believe we're here already? I know it's we're as of recording this, I've already finished all 35 Godzilla movies and it just blows my mind. It's like Godzilla versus Kong comes out in like a week and it's just like, oh, my God. Just when I thought my brain was going to explode from Godzilla overload. Now I'm, my brain's kind of like, hey, uh, it, I have like a Godzilla dependency on it now. <laughs> like my, my brain's like, so uh, can I get more of that Godzilla? How about, how about a little, just a little bit, just a little taste. Got that Stockholm syndrome going. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's bad. I don't know. It's, it's sorry. It feels more like an addiction. It's might be a problem, <laughs> but the amount of Godzilla collectibles that have added up in my living room already are pretty, uh, it's pretty intense, pretty rampant. Um, so yeah, today we are covering the fourth and currently ongoing series of Godzilla films known as the Reiwa era. The Reiwa era is the last of Toho's Japanese Godzilla films that we'll be covering in the series. And this is an interesting one. It's the shortest era so far, given that it's not yet completed. But one could argue that it's already the one with the most curveballs, or at least <laughs> in contention for it. So Josh, with you being a lifelong fan of Godzilla and this being the first era to release in your adult life, what were your expectations when it was announced that Toho would be doing their first Godzilla film in what, like 12 years? It blew my mind. I thought Toho was officially done with Godzilla after Final Wars. And I thought, you know, they're like, cool, America's got the Godzilla franchise handled. They're, you know, 2014, Gareth Edwards handled that amazingly. We couldn't be happier with the state of things. And then the money came in making half a billion dollars at the box office. And Toho was like, huh, people like Godzilla still. All right. And so they grabbed some directors and were like, let's let's get back into Godzilla. Let's do this. And they've officially made four movies since 2016. We got Singular Point coming out in April, and I can't freaking wait. You know, and now we also have the talks of the world of Godzilla, which is going to be their own shared cinematic universe. And Toho's just thriving with Godzilla. They're opening up new stores throughout Japan. There's like the one in Tokyo, one in Osaka. They just made that huge zipline thing where you zipline into Shin Godzilla's mouth, which looks amazing. Uh, that's Shin Godzilla is like the last of the Godzilla's mouths that I would want to zipline into. Dude, sounds... I wouldn't want to zipline into any Godzilla's mouth. <laughs> True, but but Shin Godzilla especially. We'll we'll talk about why when we get there. Particularly horrifying. I know Ultima's mouth is looking a little intense too. 
That's fair. Is that the one for singular point? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I and I didn't plan this at all. I've, I've been beating myself up for having not given this franchise more of a chance in the past already, but I feel like I'm kind of choosing the right time to jump on the bandwagon because this there's been probably the most Blu-rays released so far and available. And on top of that, you have new projects coming both from the American side and the Japanese side, which is awesome, which we will be, uh, anyone listening, I did want to mention too, we will be coming back around. We're sort of skipping around chronologically just to stick with the Japanese Toho eras, but we will be devoting time next week to the American films. So we'll be going back to the 98 film, which... Josh, I'm sure you cannot wait for it. And then we'll be doing the two legendary films, uh, 2014's Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters, which will both be very exciting. So I think it'll be fitting putting those towards the end too, because that and then our Kong episode the week after will kind of give us both the lead-ins to Godzilla versus Kong, which, yeah, like you said, I can't believe it's already here almost. So close. I can't believe we've finished 35 films already. Like. It's- it's a lot. It blows my mind. <laughs> it's been a blast, though. I can't. I can't. Oh yeah, deny. absolutely. Oh yeah, I've had a great time rewatching a lot of these, and right. it's also been years since I've rewatched some of them too. So that was kind of nice to dust off the movie and be like, "Oh yeah, this exists." Yeah, it's a lot of. It's been a very strange. It'll be interesting for me to look at these films as just films on their own later on down the road, because for now, I'm only able to really see them within the Godzilla franchise, because that's the context I watch them in, is binged with a bunch of others, you know, so. Yeah, for a lot of these films, some of them you still have to view as just the Godzilla franchise, but I feel like a lot of like the standalone movies, they're fine to look at as their own. But then, then again, it's kind of hard to do that with franchise films. It's like with Marvel's movies, it's hard to kind of look at some of those as just one movie because they're connected to such a huge franchise. Very true. I, w- I will say that because of the all the left turns and curveballs that the Godzilla franchise has taken over time, I, I would say there's probably more that stand out from the franchise than say like something like the Marvel franchise because Marvel franchise was done in a tight, like, 10-year period or whatever it's been where they were able to sort of make sure everything was standardized to kind of the same look feel atmosphere all that whereas you know and obviously there's some variance in between but for the most part it's a pretty consistent feeling franchise whereas godzilla has changed constantly over the years you know whether it be what political thing they're going to try and focus on what environmental subject they're going to try and focus on over the years whether they want to be goofy or whether they want to be dark and grim and miserable, it's kind of when it's hit every single tone throughout. So it, it is, it is unique in that way that it's, it's just more than any other franchise, I think where it's just got so many different entries. So it'll be really interesting to view these outside of context later on. But I do feel like now that I'm in that Godzilla fan headset, I can't appreciate the ones that can only really exist within the franchise and within the world. You know, I feel like I'm at definitely, that point. Definitely context but, usually helps but <laughs> true true yeah but now that i have the context because i've seen them all it's i can kind of pick them out and based on which ones i like definitely i feel like a lot of like the reboot eras you know like the starts of new eras and everything i feel like that's those ones are great to start off with because they're the most standalone they almost always strip it down to basics at the beginning of each era i feel like 
Yeah, which Shin Godzilla does as well. Yeah, staying very much in tone with that. Absolutely. Uh, that being said, you wanna you wanna lead us into our first movie today? So the first movie of the Reiwa era is Shin Godzilla, the first Godzilla movie produced by Toho in twelve years. All right, a complete reboot to the franchise in which Godzilla attacks Japan for the first time in the modern day. After the disaster in the Tokyo Bay Aqua Line, Deputy Chief Cabinet Secretary Rando Yaguchi proposes that the culprit is a giant creature for only for his suggestion to be laughed off. However, Yaguchi is proven right when a huge guild creature swims up the Tama River and comes ashore in the Ota Ward of Tokyo. The JSDF is unable to mobilize in time and the creature escapes, leaving a trail of destruction. Now Yaguchi and a ragtag team of bureaucratic rebels band together to find a method of defeating the creature, dubbed Godzilla, as he continues to evolve and return to menace Tokyo once again. I was in high school. It was my senior year in high school when this movie got announced, and I nearly shit the bed because I was just like, Toho's coming back? What? Because this was... Only two years, I think it was announced only a year after Legendary's MonsterVerse reboot started, and my mind was just, like, exploding. I was like, I'm getting two Godzilla franchises? What is this? Because Toho, usually when another company is making a Godzilla movie, backs off and doesn't want to do one. So Toho was just, like, revitalized and was like, woo, we're going to make Godzilla again. And I'm just, the 2010s has been the was one of the best decades for Godzilla fans. We've got six movies, three franchises, and now into the 2020s, we're continuing on with this. And it's just like, God damn, I am. This is a perfect time to be a Godzilla fan. Definitely. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how the first time that the American films, that any American Godzilla films have really hit a stride and they've, they're sort of starting to create an actual franchise out of it, that that's when Toho decides to release a Godzilla film alongside it. I just think that's interesting that they kind of, it's almost like they were waiting for to pass the baton and have the Godzilla name in good faith with people while they were in, uh, which we'll get to next week, of course, when we talk about the American films. But yeah, I think that's an interesting choice that they were like, oh, we'll wait till people like an American version of it. Then maybe while it peaked interest, they were like, well, let's uh, hopefully we can get some spillover of American fans who are new to the franchise and maybe we're drawn in by the legendary stuff. And maybe we'll see what this weird Shin Godzilla film is all about. Like I said, I was in high school when this got announced and everything. And this was going to be the first Japanese Godzilla movie to get a theatrical release since Godzilla 2000 back in 2000. And sadly, I missed it because gotta love New England. No theatrical releases for foreign films, basically. Unless yep. you live near New York City or Boston and ain't nobody got time for Boston. Sorry. No, I mean, growing up an hour away from it, it's still too much of a commitment for me to go to Boston usually. Uh, so what were your... Uh... What were your thoughts on this one when you saw it? Kind of what and how did they match up to your expectations? So this is one of the first times I really got to follow the production of a Japanese Godzilla movie because it's the modern era. You know, things are hitting the internet. You know, we get interviews with directors and cast members. I followed a channel called D-Man 1954, which shout out to him for making great news update videos on the Godzilla series. And I discovered more about this movie through his channel and his discussions on it. And yeah, it was so nice to follow the movie, kind of how it went from being announced to who was working on it, who was going to be in it. And yeah, the hype was real for me. This is 
like when that first trailer dropped, I was taken aback by Godzilla's design because of how radical it was compared to. I mean, it's still the standard, you know, stands upright, got the long tail, little arms, but they give him uh, some thick ass thighs again. He looked menacing. He looked haunting. We knew that he was going to, we heard rumors that he would be evolving throughout the movie. And for me, I thought he was going to like start off as this haunting design that we see throughout the majority of the movie and slowly evolve into, you know, a more traditional Godzilla, which spoilers, that wasn't the case. It was the complete polar opposite. I was on a whole new type of hype train for this because it, it was like my childhood was coming back to me. And one thing that was really interesting is this wasn't done as like a Final Wars-esque celebration of the franchise. This was them going back to the, you know, Gojira, the return of Godzilla. It was This was them going, hey, we're going to make a serious and, you know, thought-provoking Godzilla movie, which was amazing. They did a really good job because it was based on the 2011 Tohoku earthquake and tsunami and just how much of a disaster that was because again you know that was something modern I lived through you know not personally but you know follow the news and updates and just learn you know as much about that and I just I really like this movie (laughs) yeah uh this one's interesting for me so I actually this is one of the few that I had seen before doing this podcast and the reason I went out of my way to see it and I think I ended up seeing it. It was either, I either borrowed it from you or my friend Lucas. I can't remember. It was me. It was you. Okay, cool. Yeah. I know both of you were pressuring me to see it and really wanted me to see it. So I was really excited by just how weird it looked. And I had seen a video on YouTube or something that had sparked my interest. So I think that's what prompted me to want to borrow it from you and watch it. And it just looked so creepy and odd and unique that I was like, I got to see what this thing is all about. Now, this movie, I think, is a bit of a bait and switch because anyone who sees the trailers, it looks very much like it does harken back to any of the other sort of beginnings of one of the Godzilla eras, like something like 84 or Godzilla 2000, where you get kind of this stripped down to basics, Godzilla traipsing through a town, crushing shit, being a dick, and then the military struggling with their own guilt over creating him. And all of that stuff is there. However, I don't think that the trailers or any of the imagery beforehand, seeing it out of context, I don't think any of it prepares you for the type of movie this actually is. Because I would say most Godzilla films are probably what, like 60, 40, like 60 character stuff and then like human stuff and then like 40 Godzilla action. And sometimes it ranges as much as like 50 or even 60, 40 in the other direction. But for the most part, I feel like you get some sort of variant of that percentage, right? Yeah, I think the only one that had like the least amount of Godzilla time was like shockingly like Invasion of Astro Monster. I felt like that was like 80% human stuff 20 percent monster stuff sure and this one kind of feels the same like this one a little bit i think it is like a solid at least 70 percent people in conference rooms talking and you have to be prepared for that i think going into it because i think from the trailers it looks like it's going to be that perfect blend of just sort of like there's going to be people stressed out in a room trying to figure out what to do they're going to be watching godzilla's like massive silhouette just looming over the city and destroying shit. And then we're going to cut to, you know, getting to see the destruction firsthand. And he's going to be doing a bunch of crazy things. And again, all that stuff happens, but on a way 
in a way different way than you'd expect. This film is more about the focus on politics and the black lines behind things and how processes just get stalled and stalled and stalled while we're trying to figure out what to do in the midst of an emergency. Because I, I do think that this could be kind of, you know, obviously this is very specific to a disaster that happened in Japan. However, I think you could probably, you could even plaster this sort of structure or plot onto kind of something that could be an allegory for say like COVID or something like that, where a disaster strikes and the first thing that every politician is going to do is go, okay, well, where are we passing this buck? Like, where's the blame going? Who's in charge of this? Who's supposed to, because no one really wants to have the final say because it's a new thing that they're not used to and no one has any idea whose jurisdiction it is. So half this movie is people just trying to figure out who to toss the hot potato to. And that is extremely fascinating, but I wasn't prepared for that. (laughs) And I remember being surprised by the amount of meeting stuff and sort of these scenes. And I warned Leah when we watched it, because she watched it with us. The three of us watched it together. Actually, you joined us on. uh... Yeah, it was our first three person watch along. Yep. And Leah was not prepared. We were doing kind of a social, we all had drinks and all hanging out. You know, you were over the phone with us and by about halfway, Leah was just completely checked out. And I told her at the end of it, you know, I was like, hey, maybe this has to do with like the fact that I don't think this is a movie you could watch like this. I think we set you up for failure because you and I had both seen it and had both oh, yeah, liked this it. Was, yeah, this was like my third or fourth watching in the movie. So yeah. and plus as someone who had followed it from basically start of production up until release, you know, I kind of knew what I was getting into. But I think it's a safe bet to say that this is the one easily out of every Godzilla film out there. This is the one with the most dialogue. Like there, you have to read so much, especially if you're watching this in the original Japanese language version. So like, it is not a social gathering type of thing. So I basically told Leah at the end of it, I was like, honestly, I think you'll really like this one. I think you'll like the political tones if you like actually read what they're saying. And, you know, we're not disturbing you by talking through it. You know, I think if you can like focus on it and soak up everything, because I think it's something if you miss one scene or you miss the context of a discussion that it can really kind of fall out, right? Because it's not really a character focused movie at all. It, it's definitely, like I said, it's all about kind of these in a, in a very, in a way it feels very real because that's what these things would be, right? Is like, it'd be a series of evacuating people to different areas and trying to figure out what the next contingency plan is for a disaster. I mean, it really is more a disaster movie at its truest nature than than most and in that sense there's not a lot of actual disaster it's mostly talking and so then anyways so i wake up late the next day and leah tells me that she woke up early and watched shin godzilla again <laughs> and this time she said it's one of her favorite godzilla movies that she's watched with me and she loved it and really just saw it through a whole new lens after getting that rewatch So I think that really benefits from that sort of viewing experience as opposed to this is definitely something I'd recommend watching by yourself. Give yourself a lot of caffeine because you're going to have to kind of meet this movie halfway energy wise. And if you do, I think it pays off in a very rewarding fashion. Um, Being a little long winded here, but, you know, I think if, if that makes sense, it's kind of definitely one of those movies that once you get on its page and you see what it's doing. I think it's extremely riveting and there's a lot of really interesting conversations about how a society deals with these sort of unknown and unexpected disasters. I think it's important to note too that in this movie, this is their first time 
experiencing Godzilla, where we're so used to the Toho movies, even some of the kind of beginning of the era ones we're used to them kind of having known about Godzilla for years and years but in this one not even the 54 one exists in the chronology so I think this is pretty unique in that definitely definitely and for like new time viewers of the franchise this one is definitely a little bit of a daunting one because of all the dialogue and location changes and all that so I highly recommend that I know this is going to sound like a cardinal sin but I highly recommend you guys just watch the dub the dub is done by Funimation, and Funimation is really good with their dubs for the most part. And this is one of the ones that has a really excellent dub track. I will say that might help with the, because one issue I had with the film was there are multiple, it's not like you get one conference room full of people, right? Like there are multiple, it spans like all these divisions of the government and everything from local police to you know national government and and every branch and every time they introduce a character they say their name on the screen and it shows the japanese characters and then over it if you're watching the subtitle version it shows the subtitles so for me it was just a lot to look at on the screen at once so i guess i could yeah you know i'm kind of snob and a purist in the sense that I normally like to watch a film in its truest form but I I can totally see that argument for for watching it dubbed because even though I haven't watched it dubbed yet I could see that helping a lot just because you don't have to multitask in the sense of like your eyes don't have to read 80 things at once you can just kind of be like oh okay like you can read oh this guy's the prime minister and this is what they're talking about or this guy's the head of security over here and you know, you can separate those rather than it all being on the screen at all times, which this is also a very visual movie at times. So you're also trying to pay attention to the visuals too. So for your context on the uh, dubbing, Wes, is uh, a lot of the voice actors from Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood returned to do dubbing for this movie. So you would recognize some of the voices, which watching it myself, I was like, oh my God, that's King Bradley. Oh my God, that's Ling. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. For those listening, I actually, I have been desperately trying to find an anime I connect with because I feel like there's so many elements of anime that I like. And I just wanted to find one that I could actually connect with because I've always been at arm's length with the medium. And then I stumbled into Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and now I'm completely obsessed with it. And it's one of my favorite series I've ever seen. So I'm already planning a rewatch at some point. But we can also use that as a segue into another anime which grabbed me called Neon Genesis Evangelion, which we haven't mentioned yet, the creator of directed this movie, which is crazy and really interesting and adds a very unique perspective. What did you think? Hideki Anno was the director. Yes, that's the name. Thank you. And uh, what what did you think when it was announced that an anime creator would be doing a live action Godzilla film? Well, this is actually one of the very few instances um, Godzilla's been directed by a combo of directors. It was Hideki Anno, which he did Neon Genesis Evangelion, and I believe for him, he was the one who he wrote the story, I know that, and I believe he was the one who did more of the human scenes. And then Shinji Higuchi, who worked on the Gamera trilogy, so boom, another reason we need to watch the Gamera trilogy, Wes. Um, he worked piling up. He was the one who I believe did more of the special effects and Godzilla-oriented scenes. I'm pretty sure that's how they divided it up between the two directors. This is going to be another cardinal sin, everyone. I'm sorry. I haven't seen Neon Genesis yet. I'm sorry. Oof. Yeah, man. You're supposed to be the anime guy between the two of us. Oh, yeah. I am am a huge-ass weeb, (laughs) and I have not seen 
Neon Genesis yet, and it pops up everywhere on like all the anime shit I follow. Just haven't gotten around to it yet. Well, it's it's interesting because watching this, yeah. So, and thank you for mentioning it was two directors. I forgot that actually, and I remember I didn't forget it when I was watching it, and I remember thinking like, which half did he do the most? And I kind of thought the monster action because you know Neon Genesis is a giant robot monster throwdown series but i was pretty surprised to learn that it was mostly the dialogue and story stuff but that also makes sense too because there's a lot of political undertones in evangelion as well and he also is very patient and takes his time in the series too i mean you'll go a few episodes without any fight scene or anything it's not like a dragon ball z where it's like all right here's a 10 episode fight it's like no here's a 10 minute fight and then we're going to talk about that in the aftermath of it for the next three episodes he is very interested in that aspect of it as well so that makes sense reflecting to this movie so i want to talk about the big highlight of the film for me because once i was able to get on board with all the meeting and conference room stuff it just made me appreciate and love this movie more however i think we can all agree that this is one of the coolest and most unique representations of godzilla himself and it like i said the imagery seeing the imagery in advance was really what made me want to see this movie and man when those scenes happen they're they're few and far between but when they go down they're incredible and we get some of the most unique godzilla powers and destruction that i've seen in any of these movies and it's just a visual spectacle i mean the the cgi here which we also haven't talked about is the first cgi godzilla which is in a Japanese film, which is yeah, crazy. Yeah, that, that blew my mind because there are scenes in this where it straight up looks like a suit. Yeah, I thought that it was, was for a while, at least parts um, of it. Which I believe that was how they originally wanted it to be designed to look like. So they went with a very stylistical choice on having Godzilla purposely look like that, mm-hmm. which they also used mocap for Godzilla as cool. well. So that was very cool. He, d- he does have very natural movements. I mean, and the way oh, the gross, like hunched over lizard turkey version that we get right when he crawls out of the water is like, oh, Kamatakun is the, sure, uh, that sure. really light, yeah. light tan one. The haunting one. Yeah. The one with the little nubs for hands with the blood gills. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that thing is fucking horrifying. But the way everything like jiggles on it and just the way it kind of like it just like weebles and wobbles all over the city it it sounds goofy as fuck talking about it but it is terrifying and not to mention it's paired with like these just very plain looking like fish eyes yeah circular eyes with just like black dot pupils that are just feel like no matter where you move in your living room they're always going to be staring at you (laughs) yeah this is easily one of the most disturbing versions of godzilla but i think that's what is so appealing about it yeah it just feels completely unfiltered and (laughs) very scary definitely some nightmare fuel here what would you say are some of your your favorite aspects of this one i always get a kick out of when they're switching all the conference rooms that that just I don't know because this is a satirical film as well it's not it's not like done for laughing it's just done to be like are you guys serious really you need another conference room just to have a conference that you're already having so it's kind of like it, it's to poke holes at how you know much red tape and bureaucracy everyone has to go through just to do you know one thing definitely and i think it's interesting too because i think in a way 
once you start understanding this film's language and understand that it's not just a series of dry dialogue and it's actually a whole lot of two step forward, eight million steps back kind of situations, it actually does have a bit of a dry humor to it and a wit that I think kind of feels like, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, like Dr. Strangelove or anything like that. Like dare I compare it to, you know, a Kubrick classic, but it really, it does kind of have that vibe in the, in the political humor. And there's a lot of kind of, a lot of moments of people just delivering lines so serious that if you're not reading the subtitles or, you know, paying attention, you may think are just completely deadpan serious lines, but they're actually ridiculous. And <laughs> if you really think about them, so there, there's a couple moments like that. There's a lot of, I love the like halfway through the the new prime minister that takes over that kind of gets prime minister dumped on him. I think he might be one of my favorite characters in the movie. And what, what is it? There's some some gag about like his ramen is soggy, and then he goes, "Yeah, I was actually a- going to bring that up." He's like, so "Tough right gig." After- yeah, he's like, um, so he just got the job dumped on him and he was about to sit down and have, you know, a bowl of ramen and everyone was talking with him. So as they were talking, his noodles got soggy and he's like, I knew this was going to be a tough job. Yeah, tough gig. And he just has this like deep sigh. <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments in the movie. And that's what sort of uh, gave me that retro, sarcastic political comedy feel to it that I think works really well. Um and again, not not all the jokes are or the the humorous bits are going to be as straightforward as that, but the ones that are, are really refreshing and well needed because there's so much of this that is very heavy. Yeah, this movie has a really unique tone to it because it is one of the more depressing ones, but also I would say argue like it devotes the most screen time to satire, to political satire. So it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, moments is when Gojira is making his way up the Tama River, they have a press conference for the public and everything. And they're like, yo, it's okay. Our scientists say it can't come ashore because it would crush itself under its own weight, which has been a huge topic of discussion for if Godzilla was ever real. It's like, oh, he'd be crushed under his own weight the second he got on land. And so right as the prime minister says that, it cuts to one of his assistants walks up. He's like, yo, it just made landfall. And... It cuts them going, what? And then it shows Godzilla doing his first little rampage. And I, yep. that is one of my favorite cutaway gags. That was another great one too. And again, it's kind of a ballsy move because it's in one of the more creepier segments where he's just sort of going through the river and these boats are flying everywhere through buildings. And again, he's just like hobbling through with his little bleeding gobbler thing hanging under his neck. And yeah, this movie is really creepy it it does do a really good job of combining its tones too it never feels like the humor never feels out of place and the dark stuff never feels out of place it definitely finds a stride narratively to kind of hit both of those things at the perfect moments so in prep for doing you know our talk and you know the watch along i was you know watching some videos on shin godzilla and one of my favorite youtubers yeah youtubers fucking english that'd be helpful you you, one of your favorite youtubers one of your tubies oh yeah a couple um, of tubie boys power of editing baby yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> one of my favorite youtubers um he was talking about uh you know he was gonna be reviewing one of the figures from god shin godzilla and so he was giving his thoughts on the movie and he brought up the point that japanese culture values the collective over the individual so the film does kind of lack 
an overall main lead, even though we do follow Rando Yaguchi. He's kind of the main lead, yeah. even though, like I was saying, they, they don't really necessarily have a main lead. It's more of a constantly evolving ensemble, almost. Yeah, and it's just to show that, you know, the whole government is this massive machine just full of broken cogs and everything, and how painfully slow people are when it comes to natural disasters. Because this, like I said at the beginning of this, this whole movie is took inspiration from the disaster in 2011 with the earthquake and tsunami and then mm-hmm. nuclear disaster as well. Yeah, it, it's interesting too, because I, I do feel like by the end, you kind of do get, an idea for a more concrete cast, right? At the beginning, you're like, oh, I guess we're just focusing on everyone as a whole. But I would say by the end, to me personally, the character that I thought was kind of the main character was Koyoko Ann Patterson, played by Satomi Ishihara, who I feel like she steals a lot of, despite them giving, having this weird insistence that she speak English to people throughout the movie when she doesn't have to, it's it's kind of odd. And I Yeah, think it's just were, the show that she's, you know, american and everything as well even though she's i mean no offense to the actress at all no fault of her own she's very clearly a a japanese you know for as her first language and english as her second but she 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 does a pretty good job performing her performance wise i mean she she comes off very well i think and especially in her japanese dialogue where she's more at home i think she has some of the best acting moments in this personally and she has some pretty interesting internal conflict i think as far as how much she wants to sort of dabble in to this being an envoy from america another thing is this was her first english speaking role as well so she had to learn english for this movie so i just felt bad yeah. for her on that i mean like cause... i said you could tell yeah <laughs> which again not her fault at all she delivers a fantastic performance nonetheless i just think it would be a little less distracting if they would just let her speak japanese the whole time i wouldn't think anything of it you know oh yeah yeah definitely and it was almost like they felt the need to justify you know oh like she's american so we have to have her speak english and it's like just she's in japan just let her speak japanese to japanese people you know yeah, uh, one of the actors that we really cared for in uh, Godzilla versus Space Godzilla, Akira Emoto, returns. So it was nice to see him come back to the Godzilla franchise. Sadly, his character kind of loses uh, loses some screen time after Godzilla unleashes his atomic breath, which... Can we just talk about that scene and how amazing and visually epic that was? Yeah, let's get into the effects because holy sweet Jesus. I, so... The technicality of the effects in this, on a technical level, they may not be as well executed as, say, any of the American films, you know, any of the legendary films, whatever. However, I think the way that they're visually shot definitely rivals them and could arguably, arguably best them in certain levels. Like the way they frame the action is just so huge and so big and the sound design i think we should do a shout out to the sound design in this film especially when he shoots his beam for the first time because it starts off right as this like he's low to the ground and he's shooting this like wide almost like it just looks like a flamethrower coming out of his mouth yeah it starts off as like the black smoke and then it like concentrates into his um what we would think would be his normal just atomic breath Mm -hmm. and then it changes again it's like this pillar of, of fire. And then as he lifts his head, it like sharpens up and you hear this little noise. It's like, ding, 
and it just goes into this like thin purple beam which just like it decimates and it extends the length of it for like miles it looks like it just decimates blocks and it is so amazing to watch and even when the technical stuff isn't quite up to par with cgi we'd see we'd see say here in america it's still like the visual language of it just really gets the point across far better than a lot of american films are able to do with with these sort of scenes and these sort of effects so the creativity and ingenuity here is just it's an incredible it's absolutely awe-inspiring in certain scenes and i still get chills in a lot of moments in this movie. I mean, the, the halfway point of the film, I think we can agree, is when it really, the movie announces <laughs> what it's here to do. <laughs> and man, that it just goes on and on. Because once you, because that's one of those moments you wait for for a while, right? And then this is after he's kind of evolved into a more, with what we're more familiar with as a Godzilla, a more Godzilla-looking creature, finally. Uh, Traditional Godzilla. Yeah, and not to mention... Also, when he shoots his beam, his mouth like kind of splits on the bottom jaw, which is also really haunting. Oh, yeah, that was terrifying. <laughs> it's so creepy, but it's yeah. this really cool mix and it manages to come off original. Like I, I have never seen anything like that. And to say that after years of, of monster movies and stuff being released and, you know, there were a lot of creative stuff in the, in the other films, too, as far as designs go, you know. Destroyer being one of my favorites, but even he had like the alien mouth, whereas this we had something really unique. So definitely stands out to me in this movie. Oh, yeah. So to kind of talk about the effects and sound design and everything. So unlike here in the States where we throw fistfuls of money at movies, you know, so all the MonsterVerse films have had budgets of anywhere between 150 to 200 million dollars. That's a lot of fucking money. Shin Godzilla was made on a budget of 15 million. That's so fucking crazy. I knew it was low, but I hadn't heard the actual number yet. That's insane. Yeah. So imagine what Toho would have done if they had the money at their disposal that Legendary did. Because there are a couple wonky shots of CG. Sure. Um, like when Kamada Kun evolves into that second, or I think it's technically the third form, even though we never actually get to see the first form. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he starts off in the water and we just see his tail. Then. Kamatakun is the one that shows up on the land. Then we get a second one, which I think is my favorite design. Not gonna mm-hmm. lie, because it, it it's just haunting. Like watching it, like almost walk like a zombie, like through Tokyo and just seeing him kind of lumber over the buildings and everything. He he isn't doesn't get much screen time, sadly. So kind of bums me out. Then you know he runs back into the ocean, and but that first opening shot when we see. Shin Godzilla and all his glory. I forget what bay he's coming in from, but that is just, you got like the classic Godzilla theme because they use a lot of Afuka Bay's music in this, mm-hmm. which, so to harpen back on sound design, they also use a lot of Showa era sound effects, like or when his tail hits the ground, when tanks fire, when stuff gets broken. It's a lot of the classic Showa era. So that was an interesting sound design. I don't, I wish I knew why they used them, but. It was really cool, nonetheless, to like hear those classic sounds and motifs. We we get some classic uh, some classic music here too. Oh yeah, the military march, Godzilla's theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of the music, you know, creator of the music, it was composed by Shiro Segu. No, Segi. 
Sagisu. I'm not 100% sure how you would pronounce that last name. Um, but they did the uh, all the original music for this. That wasn't Afuka Bay's, you know, return music. Sure. And um, I believe the song is Who Would Know or You Would Know. It was like the main track from the movie, and it's supposed to be sung through Godzilla's perspective. And it's just about how he's in pain and, you know, he's confused and scared and why everyone's attacking him. And mm-hmm. so that was really cool. Well, you had pointed out to me, too, that he I think it was this one you had said, right, that he only roars when he's in pain in the movie. Yep. Yep. We only yeah. see um, the first time we see him roar is right before he uh, evolves into um, the second that second bigger land form. And it's the actual 1954 roar, I believe. And then um, the second time we hear him roar is when the U.S. bombers drop the missiles on his back. I believe it's just a classic Showa roar. And then the last roar we hear is when they freeze him at the very end. It's the 1984, you know, up until I think 91 Heisei era roar. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so interesting to, because you had mentioned during our watch along that Godzilla is silent and it just adds to the creepiness of his mm-hmm. design it's, and everything. He just trots around and he's like, all right, who wants to get breathed on? <laughs> and you're like, it, it's just haunting. Uh, yeah, he really does. Uh, I think your comparison to him being a zombie feels pretty accurate. I mean, he does kind of represent this. He feels a little less like a, a living creature, like representing like, something of life and vitality and more like this corpse that is just being like painfully resurrected to just unleash pain on the people who unleash pain on it, unleash pain on it. And uh, it's, yeah, it's very compelling and very haunting. And uh, I I will say, so, so back to, since you brought up the freezing at the end, I don't know if it helps or hurts that I'm so familiar with the franchise now because I remember first watching Shin Godzilla and being like, oh, before I had seen all the other films and thinking a lot of the scenes in it were very unique. And I was like, oh, freezing him at the end. That's a really cool idea. And obviously the creature stuff and everything is is very unique to this film and it's devotion to those sort of conference room showdowns that we talked about. But the stuff with like him freezing at the end, you're like, that's just a Godzilla trope at this point that I'm so used to. And that did kind of take me out of it a tiny bit at the end because I'm like, and I'm watching Godzilla get frozen for the 90th time. So again, I don't know if it helps or hurts the movie. I can see it being a tribute and it is a great scene. And again, there's only so many ways you can that humans can stop Godzilla when there's not another monster involved or, you know, they're not making, thank God, another fucking Super X or anything. So, <laughs> sorry. Got it. I hey, come to. on, man. Super I X is to. awesome. Oh, no, that's debatable. But yeah, so there's no, like, mechanation of humanity like that here to combat Godzilla. So they only have so many options. So I get why they went the freezing route. And the way it's done here is really cool with the trucks and like the hoses. And at one point he just grabs a bunch of the, them in his mouth and just whips them around, which is awesome. But yeah, I, I do think that there was that. Like, I forget what else. There were a couple other moments in the film that I kind of felt like, oh man, that's, that's the Godzilla thing. Yep. Speaking on the CG, when they were freezing him, that was one of the only times it was also a little wonky. It, but in the way that it almost felt like this vehicles and stuff were based on models, like actual, like you would see them using for previous yes. Godzilla movies. So it, to me, it felt like the CG 
even though to us it would be considered wonky, I think it almost had like a style style design and everything. It definitely resembled miniatures a little bit. Yes, which yeah. another cool thing that they did was they used they combined miniatures and CG for some of the destruction. Like when you see at the beginning Kamatakun smashing through buildings, a sure. lot of those buildings Yes, some were CG, but some of them were also model work with CG elements overlapped in them. And to kind of spoil something, that was something I absolutely adored in Peter Jackson's King Kong was the use of miniatures with CG incorporated in it. I think when those two are blended well, it is probably the best way to get people into like a special effects movie. Yeah, sometimes you just need something tangible to, you need a connecting thread between the CGI. I feel like you almost need to make because I was actually thinking about this when watching the the Snyder Cut recently, which, spoiler, we may or may not have a podcast on eventually, where I was actually okay with a lot of the CG that some people are calling out for being janky because the way he kind of like frames and paints his main characters and the way the costumes are designed is they almost look a little more um, overly stylized, like out of a comic book panel. So they kind of blended right in with the CG. So I feel like you either need to have your human elements or your realistic elements. You need to either paint them in a way that is going to look more CG or have the CG look more organic. You need to bridge that gap somehow. And I feel like those are the times that works best is when you're doing one of those two things. Because otherwise, yeah, if, if they just look like they exist in two different movies, which again, while Kong does do that really well and a you know, Peter Jackson's Kong. I, there's also, and again, we'll get there, uh, times when I don't think it does it well. Uh, so I think it's a, a good example of both good and bad examples. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. But we are getting to that point now where, you know, a lot of these we've been talking about practical effects and we don't, it's kind of sad. We don't really have many more of those practical effects discussions anymore. We have a little bit of them, you know, and like you said, the meshing of like Peter Jackson, but we're definitely going to be, I think CGI is going to be dominating a lot more of our conversations like it is oh, here. Yeah. Um, Especially which, with the monster verse. Yeah. And, and with, oh yeah. And with Toho taking that route, finally, it's interesting. It doesn't feel like a cop-out like you would think it would, or it doesn't, it definitely doesn't, it still sticks very much to the nature of what a Toho monster feels like. And I'm I'm so happy that it does because otherwise it it would feel like they were just trying to to pander or just do whatever the new hip thing is. But this doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like they just had such a unique idea for Godzilla that they simply couldn't do it without the assistance of CGI. Remember when we were talking about Destroya and I was saying I wish you got to see those transformations from like his different forms but obviously you couldn't because they were using suitmation and puppetry whereas in this one you can see all those transformations and all their horrific painful to look at glory and that's thanks to cgi so that's one of the pluses i think that that definitely offers this film and i feel like because those scenes are so iconic it definitely needs it so to kind of talk about more on special effects and everything shinji higuchi previous to this movie worked on the gamera trilogy as a I brought up earlier and he also did the two attack on titan movies for toho which that's the only experience i've really had with attack on titan outside of like maybe the first two or three episodes which i know there's a, all the hype that it's on its final season but i enjoyed attack on titan for the fact that it was toho doing suitmation with the cg you know added to it mm-hmm. i was really hoping that shin godzilla would follow suit with this but alas it was all cg for godzilla 
You hope Shingodzilla would follow what? Follow the suit with Attack on Titan, where it was CG and Suitmation. Suit pun. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Attack on Titan, those two movies were Toho's last time using Suitmation, which nice. was weird. It was only a year before Shin Godzilla. So that was uh, interesting because they did have an animatronic puppet for Shin Godzilla that never made it into the uh, movie, which that was actually the first look a lot of fans had was horribly, you know, pixelated, you know, looked like <laughs> someone snapped it with their cell phone as they were walking past it. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know why they... Again, here in the States, we don't get the friggin' Blu-ray extras, so we don't know why they abandoned it. Well, someone yeah. translated it on some website, but, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have the time to, you know, deep dive into all that. So it just sucks that we didn't get to see, you know, a practical. I think it was mainly used just for Godzilla roaring. Hmm. But, you know, part of me is going to miss seeing the practical side of Godzilla. Definitely. Do you think there's a possibility of Toho ever going back to that in the future? Maybe, because I know throughout Tokyo, they actually have people walking around in Godzilla suits, you know, just chilling in the crowds. And I know they'll actually make suits to do special, you know, little things like apparently some museum just had in Japan just had a really awesome, you know, like eight to ten minute video on like it was almost like a recreation of one of Godzilla's attacks on Tokyo. And it was done through models and suitmation. So it's just like they do it, but not for their theatrical releases. Sure. Maybe it's just too early into this Reiwa era because of the MonsterVerse. But maybe down the line they will, because like I said earlier, they have a plan to make a cinematic universe. So more Godzilla's coming. We just don't know how they're going to do it. Sweet. So let's talk about, unless you had anything else you wanted to address before we get to it, I wanted to talk about the ending. So one of my favorite shots in literally any Godzilla movie we've watched is definitely the last shot of this movie. And it has nothing to do with the framing or the way it's lit or anything like that. It is a well-framed, well-shot shot. However, what makes it so cool is the fucking imagery. So when Godzilla's frozen, we you can kind of see in other shots that there's something going on with his tail, right? And throughout the whole movie, his tail kind of looks like this, almost like glowing kind of like cocoon of some sort. Like it's got this kind of weird effect to it. So to cut into that, it has been a huge debate among, like there's like 20, 30 minute videos just talking about Shin Godzilla's tail and what the hell it means. And there is literally a freaking head at the very end of it you see like the mouth and the eye sockets and everything. So it's oh, almost Jesus like Jesus Christ. So like yeah, before you, the thing hatches. Yeah. When yeah. Um, Godzilla's, so after his first major atomic blast use and everything, mm-hmm. when he's hibernating, I guess is the best way to, he's just, you know, restoring his power because of how much he just used. Sure. There's one blink and you'll miss it scene. It just, it's his tail and you see a little part move and it almost looks like a mouth is open. Cause this is before. Interesting. So, when they um first Godzilla first uses his atomic breath, he just uses it out of his mouth and then out of his spines, which that was the first time we've ever seen Godzilla do that. Which is and awesome. And when they use the uh, Yaguchi plan, when they uh, send all the subway trains and stuff to blow up Godzilla, you see him start firing out of his tail after that. Now that that mouth is opened, so it was very interesting. Yeah, um. and. Then- so what were you going to say, bud? So, yeah. So after that, this, this whole time, there's you can tell there's something going on with his tail. And in that final shot, 
we get, it looks like whatever was on his tail had burst or cracked or something. And we have these sort of like humanoid looking alien creature things kind of crawling all over each other in almost like a, you know, they're still, they're not actually moving, they're frozen, but they're all kind of, they look like they're crawling all over each other and sort of protruding out of his tail and these crazy like HR Geiger, who's the guy who did the stuff for the xenomorphs and the aliens and the alien movies it's it's very inspired by that i feel like it, it just looks like this sculpture almost of like this really dark abstract gross thing I, I mean anyone listening i don't know how to describe it just look up just google the last shot of shin godzilla and if you're cur- curious or watch the whole movie because it's great but if you're just just want to see it look it up man, and make it up for yourself i'm so curious to see a if we ever get a payoff from that because who knows right because it hasn't been announced if they're gonna follow up on the shin godzilla continuity right what's his name Keiji oda who is a spokesperson for toho said that they have uh shelved the sequel to shin godzilla so it's not moving forward anytime soon sadly because they want to yeah they want to well also Higuchi and Anno are working on a uh, Ultraman movie right now. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of got their plate filled and they just did a new Evangelion movie. So they're they're focusing on some other projects right now. So sadly, I don't think Shin Godzilla 2 is going to happen, even though it was a huge success because it won Toho 11 Japanese Oscars. Yeah, yeah. Or it was either nominated or won. I can't remember right off the top of my head. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see now. Now I feel like that shot, that final shot is just in Reddit's hands. And, and now they're going to, I'm sure everyone's got their theories. What do, you, what do you think it means? So apparently I've been kind of deep diving into like theories and stuff. And so I believe it is said somewhere that Goromaki, who is the, hey, look at it. Goromaki's returned to the end to the franchise. I don't know. He's back, baby. Yep, he was the person who initially discovered Godzilla in this movie, which I believe canonically Godzilla was like a lungfish, I believe that's what it's called, who was exposed to illegal dumping of radiation and kind of just mutated from there. People correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember hearing somewhere that Godzilla is a mix of that lungfish and Goromaki himself. Don't know how true that is. That's why like um, at the end we see all those like humanoid skeleton cyclops looking things like peeling away from the tip of his tail mm-hmm. and oh my i i want answers because no one's t- the directors haven't come out and said anything about it it's just like that's what it ends with and you're just like what the fuck i kind of like that we don't have answers though i oh, yeah i i do too but at the same time it's just like part of my mind goes i need answers so if you think about some of the best movies or the best endings in the godzilla franchise of movies i would say arguably two of the best final shots are the most ambiguous ones which are the one at the end of destroya and the one at the end of this one and they're both ambiguous and they both are cause for discussion and i kind of like that i like that both of them are those those are the kinds of endings of films that i really enjoy the most and i feel like we don't get to see that too much i you actually see i think there's kind of one in um, the last shot of gmk too and those three shots are like three of the most memorable final shots because 
they leave you thinking. They don't just end on this sort of Godzilla walking off into the sea for the 15th time, 15th million time. Just, you know, hey, no need to waving. throw shade at the Showa era. Hey, I, I love my Showa boo. <laughs> the show, show will always be my boo. But it really, those are some of my favorite endings. And I, I'm, this one definitely is is just burned into my head. I mean, I remembered almost nothing from my first viewing of this movie going into it, except for that final shot. So I I just love seeing that sort of horror inspiration. And I love the commitment to the weird surrealism. And yeah, I kind of, if we never learn what it is, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, and one thing I love that you said, how it looks like a statue and everything, when in actual reality, it was a statue that they used for the prop. Yeah, it had to be because, I mean, yeah, I can't imagine. It definitely felt tangible. Like it didn't it didn't feel like it was CGI at all. And it was something that was static, so they didn't have to worry about animating movement or anything. So I feel like they could commit to just making a really dope sculpture, which they did. Yeah, that that final shot, because it isn't it doesn't directly go to the tail. It. So you start off with uh, Kyoko and Rando talking, which is a scene very reminiscent of almost like Raids Again, how they're like kind of overlooking. It's almost shot like one of the scenes in Raids Again. Yeah. And um, they're talking about, you know, what's going to come because Godzilla is going to be frozen for like another two, three years, something like that, or even longer. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, well, we're now at the start of trying to figure out what the hell we're going to do with Godzilla now. So when they're done talking, Rando kind of just looks off towards Godzilla. And then the camera does the same thing where, you know, cuts to Godzilla. We see his, you know, we kind of start off as his feet looking up at him. Then it cuts to kind of his tail and then it slowly goes up his tail and then it just ends on that scene where we just look at his tail and it cuts to black. And then I think the original theme for Godzilla, like the OG 1954 one plays. It does. Yeah. Okay. It is. Okay. Yep. But yeah, that's how the movie ends. And it's just like, wow. And here we are five years later, still discussing it. Yeah. I mean, this one overall, I think, is one of the most unique experiences. And and I, I put it up there with the original and GMK as far as like being one of those films that can stand on its own outside of the franchise. I mean, it very deliberately was made to do that anyways. But I feel like just... In, I mean, even if you saw this and never saw another Godzilla movie, I would, it may be sacrilege, but it wouldn't be the end of the world because this is very much its own entity and still gives you some of those things that the franchise offers while being its own thing entirely too. And, and like I said, aside from having a few sort of tired tropes of the franchise, I think overall it really carves out its own path. And I'm really excited to see, you know, if they, even if they don't do a direct sequel to this, knowing that Toho is willing to make these sort of creative risks and take these sort of these paths and into sort of new and inspired directions. And I'm really excited to see where, where the future goes for them. Yeah. Um, one last thing I want to say before we wrap up this movie and everything was this was definitely the most realistic of all the Godzilla movies. And the fact that we get, because one thing I really love about this movie is we see it also through like the view of the civilians as well for a few of the scenes. Like when he was first showing up, we see like people's Twitter feeds and people taking pictures and it was just, it felt very modern and very like realistic in that aspect because I'm just so used to in Godzilla movies, all the, you know, civilians going, run, it's Godzilla and then running away. And so it was really cool to see, you know, people 
of course, during the natural disaster, everyone was filming, you know, here in the modern times, people would film it so it can be captured for history. And I felt like they were kind of hinting at that for this movie, which was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is an exciting one. And I'm just, uh, I, I, it's cool that Toho can stick with the times. You know, they have some of the yeah. most classic films under their belt from the 50s, you know, of Japanese cinema. And then they can do stuff like this, which is just new and hip and weird and risky and ballsy and, it, and creepy. And yeah, it's awesome. amazing for them because I did just check and they won seven Academy Prizes. And this is Sweet. the most financially successful movie where it had the budget of 15 million and made over 78 million back. Yeah. So, and of course, my favorite thing is I was looking at critic reviews and it says highly favorable reviews from Japan, mixed reviews from the West. And I'm like, it's fucking Godzilla. Of course, they're going to be like that. Yeah, that's that's bound to be the case. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but all right, man. Uh, any any other final thoughts on on Shin Godzilla? Like I said, for new time member, you know, new time Godzilla fans and everything, just watch the English dub from Funimation, which they just put out in a new copy of the Blu-ray, which was what you got, Wes. Mm-hmm. So it's yes. the easiest. It's I think probably one of the most easily accessible Japanese Godzilla movies for Western audiences to get a hold of right now. Yeah, it is. I would say as far as accessibility goes for the content of the film, like I said, Brace yourself for lots of those conversations. Make sure you're paying attention. Like Josh said, the dub might help. But once you sink into the movie, I promise it is a very immersive and fun experience. And you'll definitely enjoy it. Definitely, definitely. So next up, we are going to be talking about what is currently the most recent entry in the Reiwa era, which is right now just known as the Godzilla anime trilogy. So we're going to talk about these as kind of one piece rather than three separate films because they really do kind of play like one long mini series so it's godzilla planet of the monsters godzilla city on the edge of battle and the final one godzilla the planet eater the film follows young captain haruro sukaki who lives aboard the interstellar immigration ship eritrum 22 years after humanity abandoned the earth to godzilla blaming godzilla for the death Of his parents, Haruo drafts up a plan showing how Godzilla could have been defeated years ago. He gets his chance with the Eritrum's Central Committee votes to make a return mission to Earth when their destination of Tau Seti proves uninhabitable and Godzilla is found to be still alive on Earth. Haruo's plan is put into action as a brigade is sent to Earth to eliminate Godzilla. However, the soldiers find that 20,000 years have passed and the Earth they left behind has become an alien planet with its ecosystem built around Godzilla. Furthermore, they cannot be sure if the Godzilla they are facing is the same Godzilla which drove them from the planet in the first place. So before we talk our thoughts, um, I think we should address that this is a first in a lot of ways for the Godzilla franchise, right? So first anime entry, first streaming entry, so on yep. Netflix. Now, did this have a theatrical release as well? Yeah, Maybe in all Japan? three films. Yeah, all three films in Japan got released. There were, I think, limited releases because they knew they were going right to Netflix. So they just kind of, I think they were out for maybe a month at the most. Not 100% sure. This is got four years ago when I was uh, following all this. And sure. obviously here in the States, we got straight Netflix releases. Yep. Meaning we also never got Blu-rays. So they are the only films to not be in my Blu-ray collection. That thing, on a side note, that kills me about Netflix is... Oh, yeah. I I don't know when they're going to do that. I'm still waiting for The Night Comes For Us, which is like one of my favorite martial arts films of recent years. And 
I still have to only watch it on Netflix. So bastards got me by the balls. Yeah. Cause of course in Japan, they're all on Blu-ray there. Yep. Including the American film. So it's just like, what the hell? <laughs> Naturally. So, yeah. So th- this was a pretty interesting project for them and correct me if I'm wrong, but this was kind of pretty secret up until it was released. Right. Yeah, for the most part, we would get a little updates here and there, um, like cast updates. Uh, I think we got character pictures and stuff, concept art. And that was really about it until like trailers would drop. We're way more, you know, up to date on Singular Point, which is Toho's current anime mm-hmm. project, which I have way more faith in because it's Studio Bones, you know, My Hero Academia, Full Metal Alchemist, and sure. Studio Orange, which nice. did Beastars. Cool. The anime trilogy here was made by Toho Animation and Polygon Pictures. And not going to lie, I hate CG anime. Not like like uh, Resident Evil, Degeneration, and Damnation, and uh, uh, some of the Final Fantasy films. Those are right. good CG anime adaptations because mm-hmm. they almost look like in-game kind of stuff. Sure. Where this is just straight-up 3D anime, and nah, it doesn't work for me. So this is something that I feel... I feel like this story would play out better as cutscenes to a JRPG. Like this feels like a video game. This does not it's and unfortunately not in like a good way. Like not in a way that feels interactive and exciting. It's just sort of it feels like these scenes would be really cool framed around, you know, lots of fun gameplay and and craziness we'll we'll start we'll kind of go linearly because we'll we'll start with the first one because i will say this one i was interesting for me because i've heard pretty much only negative things about it everyone's general consensus on this thing seems to kind of be first two are slogs and then the last one's not bad and that's kind of where everyone seems to fall on it. I actually really thoroughly enjoyed the first and honestly, most of the first one. Um, but the first 20 minutes, especially the world building, I thought was really cool. Even though it's very straightforward storytelling, just the idea and the concept was was really neat of, you know, monsters pushing humans off the earth, them coming back thousands of years later just to find out that yeah the entire planet has evolved around godzilla's existence so you have creatures that share his dna and there's you know you have many godzillas essentially uh running running amok at one point and it's just kind of at least one and it's just it's interesting I, i thought it was a really really cool concept and my problem is that instead of just playing in that world and that concept choose to instead sort of just tell you about it for hours and hours on end. And that's why I feel like if this was broken up by gameplay or something in a video game, it'd be fine. But where, you know, they have, because I actually found some of the visuals kind of cool. I think when it, when they work, they really work. And if they don't, they come off really awkward. I feel like they work less when it's kind of humans standing around and talking because the animation doesn't really convey a lot of emotion. The lighting when it's static is kind of, weird with the cell shading animation but when it's in motion especially during like some of the battle scenes there's some pretty neat cinematography and and you know if that's the right word for it with animation and there's some cool stuff and yeah i I like the idea for the technology i like like their fighter bikes let's start with the opening scene because i was actually feeling very hopeful after that opening scene because it starts off with so they're on this immigration ship and haro the main character is in a shuttle that he's threatening to 
detonate if they go through with this plan to let some of the older citizens take another shuttle down on this planet, which he knows is uninhabitable and they will die. And they kind of throw you a curveball immediately where he gets on kind of a video call with them and he's like, they're using you as lambs to the slaughter. They're just killing you off so that they can save on resources and supplies for the rest of the survivors. And the old folks on the ship are kind of like, oh, we're cool with it. We, we get it. And he's like, what? And <laughs> they send them down to the planet and the ship before it even hits the surface explodes. And you get this like pained scream from our main character. He's thrown into a cell and yeah, it's a really cool intro and really heavy. And I, I like that they immediately kind of set our main character up to be this radical, you know, activist who may or may not be fighting for the right thing. How did you feel when you first started it? Did you feel that same way too with that opening scene? For me, this was a, uh, it was interesting to say the least, because before we even get all that human stuff on the, uh, what the hell is that ship called? Whatever, their main hub spaceship and everything. Before we even get that, that intro talking about how the earth was taken over by the monsters really intrigued me. That was the part of the story. I was like, wow, that that's cool. Mm -hmm. Because according to one of the uh, prequel novels, Camacaris was killed right outside Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where. Oh, wow. That's so crazy. Yeah. That's a more or less where I grew up. Yeah. So it's just like, it's, it's cool stuff like that, that I I wish that that's cool. Well, it, it's not in the movie. Oh, the movie, that's, well, that's why. <laughs> yeah, the movie glosses over the whole, you know, monster apocalypse in like 10 seconds. And it's like, whoa, wait, that's like one of the most interesting things. Sure. But yeah, I thought the intro was pretty cool. I was not a huge fan of Haruo in this movie. Not going to lie. I, I didn't quite like his character. I liked him much more in the sequels. Mm-hmm. But this one, I, I, I was totally like I got where his character was, but... I don't know. There's something I just didn't gel with. So I liked him the most in the beginning, believe it or not. And I'll tell you why, because it's when he's the most flawed and this movie has a problem with having compelling character flaws. And he was one of the the only characters that had this really interesting, like immediately you're like, okay, this guy is our main character. We're going to follow him, but he's set up to make mistakes. And he's set up to potentially go down this dark rabbit hole because he develops this obsession with killing Godzilla, uh, which makes him borderline sadistic and a little crazy at times. And I liked when he was more unhinged, whereas I feel like later on, he kind of becomes a little more of like a, the arc they end up going with is, is the less interesting arc, in my opinion, that they could have gone with, which is, it's just kind of, he reconciles his hatred for Godzilla and kind of accepts his place in nature and realizes that, there's all balance and that he was pointing his hatred in the wrong direction. But I find that, I mean, we've seen that a million times. I wasn't interested in seeing that. I kind of wanted to see, I thought it would have been cool to see a main character go down a more dark path, at least for, even if temporarily, you know, and they hinted that a lot, but they never fully go there. So in the beginning, when they're kind of like showing him just blind with hatred and who I will say is probably the most compelling character uh name of metphis he is what what's his race of alien called again he is the exif yes so which i think is important to mention too and i feel like this was kind of a this was another cool element about it that i feel like was again totally wasted by just explaining things rather than getting to play out more arcs but you have 
they kind of play on that trope of aliens invading Earth over and over again. And at this point, the aliens were on Earth because they couldn't inhabit their own planets. And now everybody, the aliens and humans included, are all kind of mixed on this immigration ship. So I found that really interesting. And you you get a little bit of the cultures of both of the aliens, especially in the second one and a little in the third for the exif, I guess. But you don't really, I would have liked to see more of that, but I, I thought that was a pretty cool concept. How do you feel about that aspect of it? I actually really like the Bella Saluto more than the Exif because I'm not a huge religious guy, so I didn't really care for all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was a cool kind of like a cult aspect, which I'll talk more once we get to the third one mm-hmm. and well, parts of the second one and then into the third one. But sure. I thought the Bella Saluto were a little more interesting because I've always kind of liked that whole trope of people that are way too obsessed with technology and everything i always just found that a little more fascinating yeah and and they do kind of a cool job so they they don't refer to them as aliens in this they refer to i thought it was an interesting choice to kind of refer to them all humans and the two alien races collectively as humanoids throughout it um yeah that that was cool I, yeah I, I appreciate that and I, and that was a piece of world building that was done well right because they briefly talk about how aliens had invaded and then they just cut to the fact that they're all on a ship together and they don't sit there and explain oh well the the exif and the other race made a a treaty a peace treaty and blah 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 like it was the one thing they didn't spell out for us so i i thought that element of the plot was done or not even really of the plot directly but just of the world was done really well yeah, so we get, we get the world building stuff out of the way. And, and honestly, up until they get to Earth, I'm like, wow, this has a lot of potential. And when they get to Earth, we start discovering that, you know, they get back to Earth, I should say, because they realize that heading in any other direction is pretty much futile. They get back to Earth and they realize that, yeah, everything's adapted. Everything's become a part of Godzilla, essentially. They don't do enough interesting with that like i guess that's where i would have like they spend most of it either like the rest of the first chapter from then on out is just back and forth of interacting with creatures or godzilla and research like explaining the you know scientific babble behind how all this stuff happened which while interesting it feels like stuff that would be cool in like a glossary or something that came with (laughs) like the blu-ray it doesn't it doesn't feel like stuff that should be in the actual narrative the movie is less interested in telling a compelling narrative because the narrative itself it becomes very simple once they get back to earth is it's just pretty much the next three movies is just we got to kill godzilla so we can live on earth and to set up that interesting of a world and all those intricate pieces to just tell that story feels really lame and fe- and feels like it almost feels like they either had that story and then had some other writers to be like hey set up a cool world for us and they were like okay this is my chance and just went all out for a story they didn't have to go all out for you know or it was the other way around where they started with the world had the world in mind and then just didn't know what to do with it either way it, it definitely those two things didn't connect for me it was the plot and the world that it's in because i think the world that it's in is much more interesting than what the plot becomes until maybe you could argue it does get a little more interesting in the second chapter which unless you have anything else to say on the first one we can we could probably get into that yeah i just want to cover a couple things before we move on to uh the second one of course for me yeah i wasn't really interested in the whole military versus godzilla because we've seen that story done so many times i mean yeah it was cool seeing this one you know being a future take on it but yeah, Again, we got it's just flying it, bikes and shit. Yeah, 
Um, I thought it was cooler in the second one when they had the mechs. That I thought was cooler. Yeah. Because that made it just a little more unique. If not derivative anime bullshit, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm fine. I like derivative anime bullshit. But again, it, it doesn't. That's where it gets kind of less creative. And I guess um, to kind of harp back on Haruo, I guess the reason I didn't care for his character in the first one is he just felt like, because I watched the most anime between the two of us. I have a Funimation and a Crunchyroll account. I'm watching anime when I'm not watching Godzilla and other movies. Definitely. So to me, Haruo just felt like your stereotypical black haired out against the world, you know, I'm on a revenge path. And it's just like, I feel like I've seen that trope done so many more times. And I don't know, it just felt kind of boring for me for a character trope. Yeah, I agree. I, I guess I was just more interested in, because I, I, th- I think very early on, they kind of, I liked the idea that he was so radical and unhinged that I liked the idea of, you know, what they end up kind of teasing us with of him potentially going a little darker and going a little further and the XF guy Metfis I like how Metfis kind of you can tell from the beginning that he's manipulating Haruo and I love that I actually really enjoyed that I liked that they didn't oh, really same. they did a good job of not hiding it for the audience but convincing you that Haruo would be convinced that he wasn't trying to manipulate him which I thought was really cool they do a good job of like yeah letting the audience in and you know, I mean, maybe some people are going to see it as, oh, it's so predictable. He was the bad guy the whole time, if you want to call him that. But I wouldn't say that's the case. I don't think it was about, I think it was more compelling that we kind of knew from the beginning that Metfist was up to something. And again, I think that creates one of the more compelling arcs way later in the in the trilogy. Yeah, I just didn't gel with many of the characters because they all felt kind of cookie cutter in this. And um, to kind of talk about the animation, because we really only mentioned that it was you know 3d anime and everything sure uh computer generated and stuff Mm -hmm. godzilla's design i'm still not sure how i feel about it like from the front view he looks badass from like behind he looks badass but when you look at him at the side he literally just kind of looks like a circle with arms and legs (laughs) that's kind of he's kind of a rounded shape and i like how op they made godzilla in this one not gonna lie it's kind of he felt very threatening. He did feel like an unstoppable force of nature, which they again discuss more once they, you know, get into the further into the trilogy and everything. And for me, I think I really would have liked this trilogy more if it wasn't a trilogy. I would have really liked it if they did a six-parter, kind of like Star Wars. So kind of this is how i think they should have done this whole series just because everyone was if you've been around the godzilla fandom everyone's been really interested in the events that preceded what happened Mm -hmm. in this trilogy everyone wants to see the monster apocalypse that they talk about in the first two three minutes of the movie sure so i think they should have done the first movie should have been all about the monsters showing up in humanity trying to go oh shit what the hell you know how do we deal with this and then Mm -hmm. end it with godzilla showing up because they talk about how he didn't show up at first. Mm-hmm. And then the second movie be like, oh, God, this one's the worst one. Mm-hmm. And then that movie deal with us trying to deal with Godzilla and then end with the aliens showing up. Yeah. And a third movie be the aliens, you know, trying to help us defeat Godzilla and then end it with everyone leaving Earth and then kind of pick up with the trilogy is. So, yeah, I think that at least would have varied it up a little bit, because I I think one of my big problems here, too, is that it kind of does the same plot three times in a row, right? Just with more elaborate stuff introduced, like 
Yeah. It starts off with Haru wanting to kill Godzilla. They find a location. They find a cool new technology to fight Godzilla. They fight Godzilla. And it ends with Haruo being angry and being like, I'll get you next time, Godzilla. Then the next one, right? They find a new place. They find a new technology to fight Godzilla. They fight Godzilla. It ends with Haruo going, I'll get you next time, Godzilla. And then the last one has introduces a newer element, which we'll get to when we get there. But I don't know if you noticed that. It kind of really took the wind out of my sails with the thing when I realized they were just doing, especially in the second one, because I thought the second one introduced the most interesting elements. Like you said with, uh, what was that alien race called again? Not the Exif, but the other ones. Bill Saludo. Yeah. So I thought the Bill Saludo were really cool and their whole obsession with like merging with technology and, and that stuff was really fucking cool. And then they just kind of waste it. It, it just, it's just there to kind of be the new interesting thing that they introduce in that chapter to make it di- feel different than the first one. And then they just kind of throw it away. And the Bill of Saludo are never really heard from again after that, <laughs> after the second part. So that kind of annoyed me that the narrative was just so, they basically just did the same thing three times over. And again, like you said, with the past stuff being so interesting, with all the world building re- being really cool. Yeah, it just it felt like kind of a waste of all these really cool pieces. One thing we should uh, mention is they actually kill Godzilla at the end of the first one. They actually succeed in their plan, or at least we think so, until Godzilla Earth shows up, which, not going to lie, that was one of the coolest you know, introductions for Godzilla. Yeah, I got really confused because I was like, oh, they just killed Godzilla. Interesting. They have this whole like knockdown, drag out battle with him, and then... All of a sudden, you know, he goes down and you're like, oh, interesting. And then a Godzilla like 12 times the size just fucking shows up. Oh, yeah. Godzilla Earth is friggin insane. And then he just obliterates everything. Yeah. Like how they continue to find new ways to show his beam too. like in this one. It's kind of a rather than being a steady stream, it's like a quick like a quick beam, like a quick zap, which is really cool. And, and I like how, you know, he's so gigantic and moves so slow, but the fact that the beam acts so quick is kind of scary. Um, and it adds to a little bit of the threat, I think, is that he just, all he has to do is turn his head and you're done. So that was pretty cool. Or like whip his tail and it'll just create a sonic blast. Exactly, which, yeah. Yeah, because um, this Godzilla is the tallest Godzilla in any of the film franchise. It, it, he is 1,043 feet tall. Jesus Christ. Yep. And again, that was, that was something I was really excited for too, right? Was these, I was excited to see new versions of these characters that we, we know and love. And that was another thing I was kind of disappointed with almost every, except for Godzilla. I thought Godzilla was kind of neat. And I don't hate what they did with Ghidorah. I don't know. Do you, do you want to? kind of get into the the stuff in the second one now because i feel like that's where yeah yeah we i covered what i wanted getting, to talk about where things start getting juicy so yeah. they end up essentially the main plot point of this one is that they find that mecha godzilla has because they left him in like a base right and yeah so what had happened was um you know the earth defense force and the bella saluto were working together to create a super weapon to defeat godzilla which was mecha godzilla but before they could get it online, Godzilla showed up to Mount Fuji. He was like, Konnichiwa, I'm here to destroy you. Mm-hmm. And destroys the base before they're able to activate Mecha Godzilla. And so, sadly, we never get to see an actual Mecha Godzilla versus Godzilla fight, which bummed me out. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. But 
we learned that Mechagodzilla was made with nanometal for this franchise, which was a really cool concept, which I, this is why I wish we got to see the fight, because it would have been cool to see, you know, Godzilla, like, destroy part of Mechagodzilla, only to have it instantly reheal with nanometal. Mm-hmm. But because of this, Mechagodzilla turns himself into a city, which is weird. Not not going to lie. It was weird. But it's kind of executed really well at the I same time. I didn't hate it. Yeah. I think what I hated was that there was a lot of potential after that to like, okay, for instance, those suits that they end up getting, right? Like the classic anime suits that they end up fighting Godzilla in, in this one. Yeah, I think they're called like the Vipers or something like that. Yeah, they had some generic name. And what I think would have been cooler is if there was some sort of representation of Mechagodzilla instead. Like, I feel like that was like, it It felt like such a wasted opportunity. Like, oh, it's the city that Godzilla, Mechagodzilla evolved into. Sure. So I feel like it would produce some form of like miniature version of the original Mechagodzilla or something that they could use to fight Godzilla, which I thought would have been just design wise and conceptually more interesting but instead we just kind of get these like guys with like generic like metal angel wings and the fly around and shoot shit which fun to watch and and definitely more interesting than the little bikes they had in the first one but still felt like a wasted opportunity to do something a little more godzilla you know instead of just more generic anime stuff you know because at the end of the day when you see the city fighting godzilla it's just like generic turrets and generic little Gundam guys and it, it could have been so much more I don't know just just interesting and, and nuanced but instead it, it felt kind of like they were just grabbing from the anime stockpile this one also really annoyed me because I was kind of hoping for a fight and the one thing I got to admit about this trilogy that I don't like is how I get Godzilla supposed to be this massive creature in this yet he moves at a snail's pace through the entire movie and I think just the lack of motion on Godzilla also just kind of kills your watching experience because it just it plays out slowly. So you're kind of just like, come on, get with it. Cause- I, mean, I think they kind of put themselves in a corner with that by making him so huge because you're either stuck with he moves way too fast or he, you know, and at a risk of it looking kind of janky for his size or you have it slow and boring. And I think what would have helped it is have a move equally as slow, but maybe use a little more perspective shots, like maybe show more people like on the ground so that like a slow moving foot isn't just a slow moving foot. You know, it's not just feet shuffling underneath trees, the giant feet shuffling underneath trees. It's like, you know, a, a foot like over someone's head as they're like running away. That way you're creating suspense while he's moving slow and they don't really show you any of that. Instead, they just kind of always show him from afar, which I think that slow movement kind of looks less menacing when yeah you know you but there are some beautiful long shots in this movie absolutely i believe the characters themselves are obviously cg animated but i believe a lot of like the backgrounds are almost like watercolor done like watercolor paintings they do some really neat stuff yeah it's interesting how they chose to do godzilla in this right because he's they kind of almost treat him like he's more like plant life here and he's like or like almost like stone like some sort of like natural like stone or metal yeah Uh, that's what they uh talk about too in this movie which yeah which is cool he almost has like a glossy gleam to him which was a little weird and he's like monochromatic and when he gets shot there's like pings like it's like they're shooting at like you know hard rock or something like that which was pretty cool yeah i liked all that stuff the visuals didn't 
didn't bother me as much as I thought they would, honestly. And they impressed me a lot more times than I thought they would. I think some of the most impressive visual stuff is in the third chapter. But yeah, I I think they were just so obsessed with going for scope and scale and just making everything as big as possible. And the problem with that is when you're always showing it from far distances, doesn't always sell it as much as, you know, if you were to show it from a human perspective, much like how I think we'll talk about it when we get there. But the one of the American films does really well. Um, but yeah, so the second chapter, I think, was when I got more, I definitely got more interested because they were actually capitalizing off of the world a little more. We get a version of the twins, which yep. was pretty neat as yeah. the, uh, the tribe there. Yeah, the uh, Hotas, I believe, mm-hmm. something like that. Hotua. Oh, yeah, Hotua, something like that. How do you feel about them? I like them, but I really wish they would have done something to differentiate them a little more because I. A, their names are spelt almost exactly the like. It's Miena or Miena and Mayana or something like that. Right. And I think the, that wouldn't be a problem if they treated them like they treated the twins in every other Godzilla movie where they're just kind of one unit. But they yeah. don't They don't hear. They do the thing where they like talk in unison, sure. But then at points they split up and have different narrative arcs. So yeah. it's like if you're going to do that, you need to differentiate them a little bit. Because um, I had such a hard time following which twin was which because oh yeah kind of jump a little into the third one mm-hmm. haruo sleeps with one of them and i kept bouncing back and forth going which one did he sleep with was this one or this one because <laughs> could have been both they, yeah he probably slept with both <laughs> haruo that dog yeah um because one they kind of started off you know doing something different at least with their faces one kind of had like a scowl and the other one was kind of cutesy so, you know, you mm-hmm. could at least tell the part then, but then they just kind of both go off and have their own, like, same kind of facial expressions throughout the rest of the films. And it's just like, great, now the one way I could tell them apart is gone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like the fact that they're kind of, uh, they worship an egg, mm-hmm. which I really wish they would have done something with, because... You can argue they kind of do later, but again, it's it was another weird curveball representing a character and i don't think it works nearly as well as the mecha godzilla twist I, I i feel like they were kind of setting us up for a mothra to actually come out right and because they keep oh, hinting yeah. towards the egg they keep hinting towards like you know there's a point where godzilla is losing the battle in the third one then we all know what happens when godzilla is losing the battle and the twins are around mothra gets summoned and yep. Again, they didn't really capitalize off that. I do think while we're talking about the twins that it's important to mention, these are some of the worst, especially for Godzilla standards. This is probably the worst treatment of female characters in a Godzilla thing, period. Unless I'm forgetting oh something my. worse. No, but dude. This is horrible. Like, it, it it's bad. Like, they're trying to set women back. <laughs> like, in yeah, this movie, this like, is, actively. Yeah, this is like the tropiest like women cliches you can have in these movies you know from, from anime like and the it- 50s you know and, and it's like it, it's so bad and there's even movies in the 50s that are more progressive than this shit like the only two like one of the twins i can't even remember which one because again their names are so similar and then the other girl angsty girl who likes main yuko? guy from the beginning yeah yeah yuko the only time they give them anything to do, it is to gawk over Haro, be jealous that the other girl's talking to Haro. At one point, he, I mean, he's definitely leading them both on the whole time. And it's just, it was so fucking bad. 
that. And every time, you know, immediately when I started seeing like the dirty glances from one girl to the other, I was like, oh, we're going to we're going to do this, huh? This is this is their character motivation. Cool. And again, you could have done something interesting with that character because she ends up that first girl ends up committing to the whole plan for the what are they called again the 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 gabba the bella saludo the gabba ghouls yeah um so i'm just gonna call them the gabba ghouls so the gabba ghouls want to you know merge with the mecha godzilla city everyone's kind of split on the idea and they basically want to let the nano metal take them over and they use that as a way to like become part of the weapon to fight godzilla and she kind of goes along with that plan And I would find that interesting, but they strongly imply that she's only doing that because she's resentful of the twin girl for having a love arc with Haro. And I'm like, this is so pathetic. Like you're giving her one morsel of an interesting like plot point and it's only in service of a dumb love triangle that nobody gives a shit about. Like she's now sacrificing her life because of this and it's so fucking dumb and yeah I, I was really frustrated by that and it really put a bad taste in my mouth just because the the treatment was so blatantly insulting and if they had done that with one of the characters it'd be whatever but the fact that that becomes what both of those characters are and then the the sex stuff again not to get too ahead of ourselves but when they do that scene and the third one it, it really did not it felt really weird and out of place and uncomfortable and i was just it was, it was icky it was not uh not good. I didn't like that stuff at all. It was really oh, same man, same. Because again, I've watched the most anime, so I'm used to like fan service type stuff in anime, but it felt way too out of place in a Godzilla film. Like the fact they gave Yuko jiggle physics, yet Godzilla has barely any movement to his character design. It's just like if really any, you're gonna if anyone in this movie should have jiggle physics, it's them thighs, boy. Like yeah. Godzilla's thighs should have jiggle physics, not boobs. We don't need yeah. boobs in a Godzilla movie. We need Godzilla's thighs jiggling. Yeah, Jig- exactly. Jiggling and jangling. And honestly, that probably would have made the movement a little more dynamic. So who knows? Yeah, exactly. Because Godzilla's stiffer than a fucking he's stiffer than Mecha Godzilla in this series. And it's just like, why put your budget and time into doing that when you're doing a fucking Godzilla franchise film? That's this is why I'm so hyped for Singular Point because they seem to actually be taking the Godzilla property way more serious and you know have way more you know. And I I think there were definitely people on this creative team that had some really cool ideas and really did love the franchise. But uh, yeah, at the at the end of the day, it just there's so many decisions like that where I'm just kind of like, you know, and we waste a good chunk of runtime and the, these are not very long movies. I mean, they're an hour and 30 hour and 40 each. And this is actually the longest of the three of them too. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just super frustrating. And, you know, yeah, I would say a good, like 15 minutes of it feels devoted to just like, just really dumb angsty love triangles and bullshit. We don't care about and going out of their way to just, yeah, again, just, have these characters gawk over Haruo and that's just so fucking lame yeah very disappointing and especially in the installment that introduces the most interesting concepts that that was frustrating and then again we just kind of end with another battle versus Godzilla that ends with Haruo with his fists up in the air except I think Yuko dies this time 
Nice. Yeah, you yeah, they freaking kill off one of the only female characters in this movie. It's like, guys, come on, this yep. isn't Megalon. We can yep. actually have, you know, female characters. <sighs> she had to die for her emo boy. And yep. then yeah, and again, which just makes all that even more distasteful and and gross, but yeah. Um, so let's go, let's get to the third one. Cause I think that's where things kind of pick up a little bit. Uh, one thing I just want to mention before we, uh, skip on to the third one is, uh, they actually do their own version of burning Godzilla in this movie, which was cool. Why do I not remember that? Cause they don't do much with it. <laughs> okay. I was going to say they do. <laughs> yeah. They, um, it's, I believe fans have just dubbed it Scarlet Godzilla Earth or Godzilla Earth Scarlet, something like that. Oh, that um, makes him sound so classy. <laughs> when they capture Godzilla and are just unloading on him in Mecha Godzilla City, he mm-hmm. turns into this burning state as like a self-defense weapon. Sure. So he can free himself and, you know, get away, which I thought that was a cool concept that, you know, for once burning Godzilla wasn't because spoilers, this is now the they actually did this version of burning before King of the Monsters did theirs. Hmm. Um, where this one was more of a self-defense way instead of an offensive way like King of the Monsters or Godzilla dying like Destroya. So I wish they had done more with it because they kind of show it off again in Planet either when uh, King Ghidorah is eating, you know, not eating, um, trying to, (laughs) you know, kill Godzilla. And it looks really cool. Like, again, just like in um, King of the Monsters, everything around him melts and catches on fire because of how much heat he's putting off. Mm-hmm. It's just like I wish they would have done a little more with that. Yeah, I, I even forgot like, about it. Uh, yeah, I, like I, I don't remember that at all. I yeah, I I don't know. I I think they do this a lot with with this trilogy where they introduce a concept. Your mind at first goes, okay, that's different than how that's normally done in the franchise, but I'm willing to commit to it. And they sort of win you over with goodwill at first because they they set up these really interesting concepts. And then they don't execute with them ever. I mean, like I said, like the idea of Mechagodzilla City is really cool, but when it's in action, it's not that cool. And the idea of a Scarlet Godzilla sounds cool. When it's in action, I don't fucking remember it. So (laughs) that's kind of a problem. And all right. So unless you had anything else to say on the second one. That it. Surprisingly, it is my favorite one of the trilogy just because, you know, it sets up the most. It has the most promise to mm-hmm. me, at least. And it, to me, I found it the most interesting. I will say yet. narratively, it's the best of the three. However, yeah. I think that if I'm going to like sit down and want to watch any of these, it'd be the third one. Because the third one doesn't have much going on story-wise, but is is just cool spectacle for an hour and a half. Oh, yeah. Um, so without further ado, I guess we'll, we'll talk about the third installment. So this is the one representation of one of the creatures that I actually think really works really well for me personally, which is Ghidorah. So we finally get Ghidorah in this, but I think, I think before we really get into what this, what happens in the third one, I think aside from knowing that Memphis is up to something the whole time, they don't really do a good job of connecting the stories of these three movies aside from each one is just about trying to defeat Godzilla, but there doesn't feel like a lot of overarching stuff. And it's kind of frustrating. And I guess this third one, it feels like that a little more, but the first two didn't feel very connected. I mean, it almost felt like you could have done, like you could have had the fight at the end of two be their first encounter with Godzilla or like have an encounter where they just have to run away 
from him in the beginning instead of actually fight him and then they run away and flee and find Mechagodzilla City like and and then they have a real fight with him after that you did you didn't have to have a whole fight in the first one because it was way less interesting than the fight in the second one and then you could have that way you could have kind of connected the narrative threads a little more and kind of had this actual ramping up of tension rather than okay we're going to fight Godzilla for a third fucking time now <laughs> only this time there's a god involved and it's Memphis's god and his god is King Ghidorah which is pretty neat and it turns out that a lot of his whole plan was to get people to believe in Ghidorah and kind of um correct me if I'm wrong but he kind of uses Haruo as like his sort of what's the word I'm anchor looking point for? kind of yeah and almost sets him up to be like a martyr and almost and sets him up to be like a symbol for what Ghidorah represents without Haruo even knowing which again is one of the more interesting narrative concepts and then this one once that goes down and once Ghidorah summoned who essentially I don't even know how to begin to describe the uh execution of Ghidorah here he's kind of like a, a, a celestial being that is extra dimensional almost yeah almost intangible and they basically it becomes this thing where they have to break a MacGuffin item which ends up being in Metphis's eye to make Ghidorah mortal to kill him, essentially, kind of is what I got out of it. I don't know. This this one just has a bunch of loud, big things, and they're all cool looking, and then and then it just kind of goes, and then it ends. <laughs> it was, it's not bad. It's and it, there's some some of the coolest looking visuals here, and I think Ghidorah was really neat, but it did just kind of feel like the only one that felt connected to the other two, but in a way that it was just it felt like it could have been the last twenty minutes of the rest of the story what do you think of this one i'm not gonna lie i had the hardest time following the story to this one it is so friggin' dialogue heavy with memphis going on his you know spiel about everything it's just like he's doing all his like philosophical discussions on you know earth and humanity and godzilla's involvement and next thing you know they're on an airplane that's dropping the nuke on hiroshima and you're just like what the fuck it it's got some good concepts in there it's just to me, it's a little too wordy with everything. I kind of wish it just relied more on the visual storytelling. I, I think this works best if you take, and again, I think it would have helped my flaw with the other two feeling disconnected, is you take some of the exposition in this film and you find a way to subtly sprinkle it throughout the first two films. And that way you can kind of, by the time we, I, I think the concept of Ghidorah could have been introduced earlier without spoiling the twist of him they summoning kinda, Ghidorah. They kind of do. They do? Yeah, every once in a while, like Memphis, when he'll, in, at least in the second one, uh, City on the Edge of Battle, when he mentions, like, their god every once in a while, you'll hear Ghidorah's famous bidi-di-di-di-di-di -di sound played very subtly in, like, the background. Yeah. And I that's one of the only real hints they give. Mm -hmm. Again, this is one of those, because they're so, like, quote-unquote connected, it honestly, it's... I wish you could just sit down and watch all three right back to back to back to get the full story, but that within itself would become a chore because they're just well, and it feels like they re they hit the reset button to each one, so you can't exactly. really yeah the the characters last throughout each one, and but the fact that they want to kill Godzilla is the only thing that remains true throughout all three, and I think the problem was not introducing a grander scope of where things would lead because i think this finale is really fucking cool i think the idea of this alien guy kind of manipulating the main character into becoming a representative of this religion that he doesn't really believe in uh is really neat and then using that to summon 
Ghidorah as a god is really fucking cool. And again, I like that it harkens back to kind of the spiritual tone we get in like something like GMK. And it's just so frustrating that all that potential is just wasted here because essentially what you have is the first one is they go to Earth, they fight Godzilla, they lose. The second one is they go to Earth or they're on Earth, they fight Godzilla, one alien race turns against them, and then it's over. <laughs> and then the next one is the guy from the other alien race turns on them and then it's over, you know? And when you had such an interesting structure, you could have played with there of like the second one being all about like technology and man-made stuff. And the, the third one introducing concepts of religion, you could have combined those things so well. I mean, you, and then man being stuck in between those two races, like, and those two ideals, ideologies is really fucking cool. And you really could have done some cool stuff, but they don't bother. And it's just rinse, repeat, fight Godzilla. And <laughs> three times over and by the time it came around to the end it, it was cool to look at but i just didn't really care i just wasn't invested I, yeah i kind of watched this one on autopilot i will say the music in this trilogy is pretty great it's um, actually a return from one of the past godzilla composers what other movies did he compose space godzilla and oh godzilla 2000 as well sweet so he did the music to those two movies yeah i i really liked the music here there's some really cool introductions of synth in some of it. The orchestral stuff's great. I I think the score overall was, was pretty good. It felt Godzilla, but also created its own sound, which I, I really appreciated. And I think it really helps with sort of the epic feel of a lot of the, the showdowns and standoffs here and helps when, you know, Metfis is just going on and on about his God or whatever, <laughs> whatever the fuck that alien boy is talking about. It's... It makes it more epic just having that music behind everything. And you're like, oh, I, well, you, I, I don't really care, but you're doing a good job of tricking me into thinking I do. So yeah. <laughs> um, that's yeah, how I feel about the whole third movie, honestly. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did like was kind of like some of the kaleidoscope style animation mm-hmm. that they were using for like introducing Ghidorah and like yeah. doing that whole weird montage thing with Haruo. They do it with the opening titles, too, which was cool. Oh, yeah, which, not going to lie, I really dug how they animated the opening titles to two and three. I thought yeah. that those those were looked really cool. Two especially was my favorite, I think. Oh, same. One thing I really did enjoy was that I thought King Ghidorah was, this was one of the only times I truly felt like he was the destroyer of worlds that Toho always wants him to be. Mm-hmm. I thought he was absolutely terrifying in this movie. Not like, oh my god, like it's a horror movie, but I just thought he had such a menacing presence, even though we literally only see his noodle heads. <laughs> well, they do a good job of visually selling that he's this god then yeah. and selling that he's a, yeah, like a, a deity just coming from the skies. And I like that Godzilla doesn't really stand a chance against him until they kind of level the playing field later. So, I, I, and again, this, this, Trilogy is all, all about just making things as big as humanly possible, but they kind of leave you behind and they don't really focus on connecting you to it and making you care, which would have really helped <laughs> by the time you get to this big epic finale. Yeah, I, I don't have a ton to say about this one just because it kind of came and went. It felt very much like Battle of the Five Armies, you know, the third Hobbit movie where it's just kind of like, well, here's all the pieces. You knew this was coming. Here's your battle and it's over. And all the exposition didn't really change anything. It just, it added context, sure, but it was context we didn't really need and context that should have been set up and established earlier when you had two other movies to do so. So dumping all this on us in the third movie just feels kind of lazy and really 
just leaves you uninvested. Yeah, and one thing I really wish they had done was given us a proper kaiju battle because that's one thing we don't get in this entire... So three films featuring Godzilla and there's like no fighting with him and another monster. And they go out of their way to make that not happen. And again, like by making Mechagodzilla a city, by making Mothra a concept and not an actual character, by making Ghidorah a, you know... Celestial being that that can touch Godzilla and Godzilla can't touch him, which I thought would have been cool if they had done just a little more actual fighting. Because again, Godzilla just stands around this entire fucking trilogy. And it's just like, he does that in Shin. But at the same time in Shin, we get scaling properly mm-hmm. you know and he does walk around more and i don't know he just seems more active in shin godzilla than he did in this well well shin godzilla has more presence i think too i mean this is just a again it's just a monochromatic giant not jiggling blob that just kind of like he's just a big stone you know he's like a big statue and he just kind of lurks around and again would be very cool if they did a good job of creating that menace or added some other trait to him that made him him fierce, but he's just kind of a statue that shoots beams occasionally. And yeah, a lot of, a lot of wasted opportunity here, especially with just how cool the concept was. I can see this having a fan base and I can see some people appreciating this for what it is, but I definitely think it's one of those things that's not as bad as everybody makes it out to be, but it's not good enough to write home about. And it sort of falls in this weird in between where, you know, and it doesn't have the charisma that most Godzilla movies have. So it doesn't fall in that like, oh, I'm just in the mood for any Godzilla movie on a rainy day and I'll toss it in. Like it doesn't have that appeal. So you're literally just left with really one of the only truly meh films in the entire franchise. Yeah, this whole trilogy to describe it is underwhelming. That is, I feel like the best way to describe this trilogy. Because again, a lot of cool concepts that are all just kind of half-baked and not really done to the potential they could have had. And which sucks, because this was the first time we got a proper animated theatrical release of Godzilla, because prior to this, we only had the animated series based on uh, the 98 film, Mm -hmm. which, why is that the only good animated project before Singular Point? Like, come on, you guys. He's been around for 60 some odd years at this point. Give the boy a good animation. They really dug gold out of dog shit with that one. (laughs) And yeah, I had a lot of hype going into this series because again, it's it's so unique that it's like a futuristic take. It could have been like a cool cyberpunk story involving mm-hmm. Godzilla, yet it's just generic military versus Godzilla. Yeah, and it's just like if I want a military versus Godzilla movie, I'll watch the original. I'll watch Return of Godzilla. Mm-hmm. I was excited for uh, to kind of see them recontextualize all these Godzilla tropes we'd seen before. And again, they introduce those concepts, but then don't do anything with them. And it's so disappointing. I I just hope that they, you know, and it seems like maybe they did with singular point, you know, is is use this as a lesson and, and see, it looks like singular points a little less obsessed with just giant, massive Epic scope and actually just wants to have fun. So I feel like that's where they can probably step it up a little bit. And, and hopefully that'll be a little more entertaining if if not a lot more. And for me, with animation, I always like it when animation has more of a color, you know, more color to it and more vibrancy. Because with animation, you can do stuff you can't do with regular film. So, but they limited themselves to a very boring color palette with this movie. Like Earth is covered in a fog because it keeps Godzilla safe or something like that. And it's mm-hmm. just like, 
whenever we get that brief glimpse of the sunlight coming through and, you know, blue skies, the movie looks beautiful, but the rest of the trilogy is just boring, bland, gray skies. And it's just like, guys, come on. Yeah. This is animation. We're allowed, you, you can go crazy. You can do, like, look at Spider-Verse. That movie is visual eye candy. And it's just like, I don't know, even the live action Godzilla movies are way more pleasant to look at. Yeah, like I said, I mean, in Return of Godzilla, you have like those red skies. And I thought that was kind of a cool look. And like I said, it reminded me of like Batman, the animated series. But yeah, it's like a good way to kind of stylize. And again, like you said, in anime, you can animation in general, you can do that. You can you can fuck around with surrealism. It doesn't have to be realistic. And even in live action, it doesn't really have to because you know what? It's about a giant lizard stomping around. So who gives a shit about realism? Just make it dynamic and fun to watch. And if it's not, then what's the what's the point? But yeah, hopefully uh better luck next time with the in the anime department, I guess. Yeah. And it's just again, I really I had hype going into this, but this trilogy, like you said, it's the most meh it's the most generic feeling of the entire franchise and i think one reason they might have it might have felt like this is toho i think kind of wanted to pump them out because these were made between kong skull island and godzilla king of the monsters Mm -hmm. so i think they were trying to keep a tight release schedule for these because Mm -hmm. they wanted to get it out before legendary was you know putting out their godzilla movie so two of them city on the edge of battle and planet eater are the only two Godzilla films since 1964 to be released the same year. Mm-hmm. It just, I think, maybe a little more time in the uh, production department instead of you know trying to pump them all out within a year of each other. Because I think uh, the first one came out in like November of 2017, then it was like March 2018, and then like summer 2018 for the third one. And it was just like, I don't know, it just felt like they all could have used more time. Mm-hmm. But I think they were just trying to, Toho was just trying to meet that release schedule to not compete with King of the Monsters. Yeah. And it really deflated my optimism very quickly because in the beginning I was like, oh, everyone says these are bad. And that's that's really not that bad. I was like a half hour into the first one. I was like, the world's really interesting. I'm excited. I'm invested. And then it just, yeah, slowly just takes, just sucks the air out of the, out of the room and then just sort of becomes this chore you know and like we've had much longer movies that we've watched that have been not as hard to sit through so yeah i I just think it's a learning curve for toho and i think it'll be really interesting to see what they do next with animation but yeah did you have anything else to say on the the anime trilogy yeah i believe i mentioned that it was polygon pictures who did the animation for them well with the help of toho animation as well and Mm -hmm. polygon pictures actually just i believe it was them who was behind the new pacific rim anime and i've been hearing good things about that but again cg anime i'm gonna stay far away from that (laughs) because i'm definitely gonna watch it because i love pacific rim but i'm also a del toro fanboy so yeah i don't know if he's too involved in that series but no but that's that's why i love pacific rim at least so i i'm a sucker for the world and i'm just curious to see what they do with it so we'll see i'll I'll give you reviews i'll I'll test the waters for you and let you know all right (laughs) yeah Um, um for ranking of the Rewa era, this was the easiest ranking I've had to do. <laughs> I mean, it's essentially two movies, right? I mean, I mean, really, you can rank the anime separate, but I feel like altogether they're probably all the same quality. That's how I yeah. feel, anyways. But yeah, I think we can both comfortably say 
Shin Godzilla is the better entry so far. Oh yeah, <laughs> in, in the Reiwa era, but we have more Reiwa to go. So who knows what yeah. the future will bring? And maybe after this podcast, if they release more uh, Reiwa stuff, we're definitely going to come back around for a singular point review at some point. And uh, you know, if if they do any more Reiwa stuff, maybe we could do a part two to our to our Reiwa episode in the future. Oh yeah, they're like I've said, Toho's busy working on the world of Godzilla right now, and they're just waiting for Godzilla versus Kong to come out so they can, you know, officially work on it. But right now Toho's working on an Ultraman film with Hideki Anno and Shinji Higuchi. So, you know, they're 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 they've got their kaiju stuff cut out for them right now. So you know I'm fine with that. uh, I'm still waiting on my Shin Mothra movie. Let's do it. (laughs) Release the Mothra cut. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> all right well uh i think that about wraps it up for today it's been, it a, been a blast as always uh thank you so much to everyone for joining us and all the support's been really awesome so far we hope you enjoyed listening to us geek out as much as we enjoy geeking out and for more of us geeking out you can find us on twitter and facebook at at not buff pod and on instagram at not buff film buffs special thanks as always to matt williamson for doing the awesome artwork every week thank you josh for taking the time to edit these every week and make sure to join us next week where we tackle the American Godzilla films, which I cannot wait for right here on Escape to Monster Island. Adios, everyone. Have a good day. We'll see you next week.